Hey, Trumpcast listeners, it's Mary Harris from over at the What Next feed. I'm popping in here to invite you to go find me, wherever you listen. For years, you've come here to listen to a voice of reason as Donald Trump ran for president and then took office. But here's the thing. Now that he's out of the White House, there's still so much stuff to clean up. And the news is still pretty overwhelming. And that's where What Next comes in. That is my show. We take you in-depth on one big story five days a week, whether it's talking to people who are actually affected by the news or just explaining the twists and turns that you can't get out of a push notification. We'll navigate you through some complex topics. We'll guide you through complex topics with ease and give you the kind of understanding you're not going to find scrolling your phone. I'm about to press play on an episode of the show. If you like it, make sure to subscribe to What Next in your podcast app. Chahat Rana says being in India right now means constantly asking yourself, when will I get COVID? It's like a circle that's closing in. You hear of a distant contact, then you hear your neighbor has COVID, then you hear a friend's parent has COVID, friend's parent has died, grandparent has died. You know, my father's colleague has died, stuff like that. So you hear these, like, it comes closer and closer to you and you wonder how long will you remain unscathed. And that's not just me, that's everyone. That's everyone these days. You've probably heard the stories about hospitals that are overfull and simultaneously discharging body after body, about the medicine that's in such short supply oxygen too. If I needed oxygen in India right now, what would you tell me to do? So the first thing would be if you're above sort of 92, if you're still in like 93, 94 range, you won't get a bed. You won't be prioritized. Chahat means if your oxygen saturation is low, it's got to be really low to get a doctor's attention. So what would happen first is you will wait till it's like 92 to start panicking uh, because because there's nothing else to do. If it's still dipping, then you start looking for an oxygen cylinder, a concentrator, which you can install at home. Hmm. Now for that, what you do is you start messaging everyone you know. You go to Instagram, you go to Twitter. Jahat's social media feeds have been filled with these messages over the last few weeks. Friends and family tapping out desperate memos, almost always marked urgent in all caps. Have you seen these pleas work? Someone put information out and say, I really need this right away, and, and someone comes through for them? Yeah, it's it's worked. It's not worked, I'm sure, quite a few times. You Like a few hours later, you'll see a tweet saying that this person passed away. You know, nothing helped. But there are Times when I think I have forwarded a lead personally that's worked or someone else has forwarded a lead to me, which I forwarded it and it has worked. Did that feel good? Like, did you feel like, oh, okay, one person's taken care of? Or I I wonder if you felt like this is just one person out of so many. Yeah, I don't think there's time to even feel good about it. You're on to the next. Uh, and you're also worried what will be the next need. Okay, I got them that one oxygen cylinder. Maybe they got that. Maybe they, they're fine for now. And when oxygen falls again, within a few hours, will we be able to get the next cylinder? 
if it falls even more will we be able to get them a ventilator bed um and and an icu so it's it's hard to feel hopeful today on the show jahat spent the last few weeks in and out of india's covid wards and waiting in line with mourners who just want to put their loved ones to rest she's going to take us inside a crisis that she says her government should have seen coming I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. What Next is supported by WISE, the smartest way to move money around the world. How's an exchange rate like a sausage? Well, they say you don't want to see how sausage is really made, and you don't want to see how banks really come up with their exchange rates either. When you send, spend, or receive money internationally, banks and old-school providers often take the real exchange rate and add a spread to it to make extra profit. They don't like to tell you that because you might lose your appetite. But Wise has got nothing to hide. The Wise account always gives you the real rate like on Google without any nasty fillers when you send money to over 80 countries. And the Wise debit card gives you the real rate when you spend overseas or online. You pay only a low transparent conversion fee and you save money. You can even get your own bank details for other countries so you can receive money from around the world like a local. The whole thing's delicious. Over 10 million people and businesses are already on board. Join them and see what fairness in international finance feels like. Test them out at wise.com slash what next. Do you remember when it felt like India had kind of dodged a bullet when it came to the coronavirus? And, and what that was like? End of last year and early this year, everyone was a little more hopeful. Yeah, December, January. Yeah, December, January, especially because we would, I mean, I personally was reading news about the US even and seeing the spike, I think around November, December, it was really bad. And I would say, oh, wow, like it's surprising that we're still doing okay compared to that. I mean, being in a country that does not have such healthcare resources, uh, that level of infrastructure and development etc you know it was just surprising that we didn't reach the kind of level of apocalyptic chaos that we reached now and for a minute we thought maybe i mean at least i thought maybe that's never going to happen at least not to this extent so yeah and then the messaging around where we are in terms of the pandemic and what the government sort of tried to tell people especially when the two new vaccines were approved in india was that, yeah, we have the vaccines, the numbers are low, and we're going to beat this. But while India's leaders were celebrating manufacturing those vaccines, they weren't doing a whole lot to convince the Indian people to get vaccinated. So far, only 9% of India's population has gotten a shot. Only 1.7% is fully vaccinated, at least according to the latest data from the University of Oxford, published in the New York Times. The numbers are low for a lot of reasons. Jahat says one of them is vaccine hesitancy, but not the same kind you'd find in the U.S. Jahat says in India, this was something completely new. We have a very good immunization program, a universal immunization program. There is faith in that system. People line up to get vaccinated. You know, so there is faith in vaccines in general, in immunization programs. What happened here is... Um, at least in the earlier phases, it was frontline workers and healthcare workers who were getting vaccinated. And I think the government did not do enough in terms of communicating the science, the research that the vaccine 
to instill that faith in them because the way regulatory approvals were granted to these two vaccines it seemed quite rushed hmm. only because we wanted a make in india national vaccine as soon as possible that's what the government wanted so there was a worry that scientific rigor has been compromised just to show that we have these two make in india vaccines and you know india has done so well and, and there's no doubt these vaccines the problem is not that we can't trust these vaccines or the science behind it or our scientists etc the problem is that we did not communicate in a way that instills faith in these vaccines so a lot of healthcare workers in the beginning were very hesitant to get these vaccines well then it's interesting too because the lumbers were low of course you had your prime minister giving a speech at davos basically saying we're at the end of dealing with COVID in January. Yeah. And so you can kind of see how everything combines. And a practical person might think, well, I can skip it. I don't need it. Yeah, that's something that I I heard people say as well. Like some people said, oh, I've already been infected. So why take that risk? Um, I went through this last year and it was okay. Because people were assuming they'd already had it and had developed some immunity. Yeah, which clearly is not the case. Reinfections have occurred. I mean, we don't have really good data on the rate of reinfection in India. But anecdotally, yes, we know that so many people, so many healthcare workers, frontline workers, just general people have been reinfected and have faced somewhat even more severe symptoms this time than last time, especially if they weren't vaccinated. When did you sense something was changing, cases were picking up, and it might be getting dangerous? I think by the end of February and early March, uh, there was a lot of talk about one specific state, which is Maharashtra. Uh, that's and that's where Mumbai is. Yeah, yeah, that's where Mumbai is. That's the state. Uh, Mumbai is the capital of Maharashtra. So there was a spike there, but the way the government was talking about it is that you know this is once. They were isolating particular states and saying the central government, you know, the health ministry. Um, they were pointing at certain states and being like, "These are problem states. They are not doing well enough. They need to do this. They need to ramp up their vaccination, ramp up their testing." So it was. It seemed like it's not a national problem. It was a very specific epidemic, localized, and this is the state's problem. But otherwise, India is doing well. Was the government giving reasons why? COVID cases might be on the rise in particular places? Well, they were giving reasons, but those reasons didn't add up. So a lot of people were asking these questions, right? Like, okay, if Maharashtra is speaking, Punjab is speaking, uh, why is the rest of the country not? And there were two, three answers to it. Uh, but the main sort of answer that they always gave was COVID fatigue, which is that people are not taking precautions, etc. But that could be applied to any state. So that didn't make sense. There was some conversation about uh, mutations and a mutant sort of virus, but nothing has been done even until now. No significant research has been done to sort of trace that virus. There was a, a, a sort of mutant virus that was traced in Maharashtra in some districts of Maharashtra early on, but nothing has been done to see whether these are more infectious, more dangerous. So again, there's no conclusive sort of evidence to suggest that this might have caused a spike in Maharashtra as compared to other places. I'm thinking about the United States, and here 
we kind of tried to prop up a contact tracing system state by state, and some of those were more successful than others. Hmm. I wonder if in the time from when the coronavirus began, when it appeared, whether India had been able to prop up those systems so that when cases did begin to surge, there was some ability to answer the question of why. Contact tracing was something that was spoken about and and a lot was perhaps done in the early sort of months of the pandemic and that's during the lockdown. So perhaps between March and May, there was a lot of talk about contact tracing. But I think since then, it's just been an abandoned exercise. And you flagged too the fact that even as this surge was happening, India, like a lot of countries, had a scientific task force on COVID-19. Yeah. But that task force wasn't meeting in the early days of this surge. Do we have any reasoning for why? Honestly, I'm not sure why, but from what we know is that the government's priorities were different, clearly. We were focusing more on the election rallies. Um, We were focusing on the Kum Mela, which is the sort of big religious gathering. And lakhs of masked crowds gathered there. And our minister spoke about how um, religion has a place above COVID-19. And if you have faith, then COVID-19 can do nothing to you. These are government officials Hmm. saying all of this. Um, So... I, I'm not so sure why they, but but this has been the trend. This has been the trend to not listen to subject area experts, to scientists. Their advice has clearly not been taken into account from the very beginning. Um, scientists already knew that cases are on the rise and predicted that something like this is on the horizon. So honestly, I, I cannot understand. I cannot fathom what stopped them from meeting and planning for this. You sound so frustrated with your own government. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I am. I am. I mean, I'm beyond frustrated. I've given up hope and just seeing what I see every day, reading what I read every day. I mean, they can't even acknowledge what is happening. So, you know, thinking beyond that is just, if you can't even acknowledge there's a problem, what are you going to rectify it with? Like, what are you going to do to make sure that this problem is resolved. Why do you say that, that the government hasn't acknowledged what's happening? Give me, give me some examples of how you see that disconnect. For example, uh, in Uttar Pradesh, one of the states that has been badly hit, the chief minister spoke about how there's no shortage of oxygen, there's no issue about beds, we have everything, there's nothing to worry about, cases are actually going down now, so this is the kind of narrative that they create while on the other side, um, if someone does try to speak up, for example, there was this one person only yesterday who tweeted about getting an oxygen uh, cylinder for his grandfather who was really sick. And the government responded uh, by filing an FIR against him for spreading lies and misinformation. That's a some kind of charge, like a criminal charge? Yeah, an FIR is the first information report. So a man goes online looking for oxygen for his loved one yeah, and gets slapped with a charge. Yeah, yeah. That's what happened uh, for spreading rumors and lies. So that's been the kind of crackdown. 
The government does not want to talk about what the situation is on the ground. They're very wary of the international coverage that India is getting instead of trying to actually focus our energy on fixing things. Hmm. Yeah, so this this has been sort of, the efforts have been to clamp down on real narratives from the ground and reporting and instead pretend that everything's all right and everything's good. And the way they're doing it is not just through what ministers and officials are talking about and what they're saying about the situation and how they're pretending everything's okay. But also the other things they're doing is curbing testing, asking private labs to stop testing so that, I mean, if there are no tests, then obviously numbers are going to go down. That's so reminiscent of what happened here, where when President Trump was in charge, you had him saying, well, we're doing so much more testing. That's why the numbers are going up. Yeah, but here it's, yeah, that, that's something that's been used also uh, earlier. But now it's just very explicit orders um, to curb testing, to stop private labs from taking tests. and Because you don't want to see the problem. Yeah, yeah. And even if you do get tested, sometimes you get your results in like a week or 10 days. Until then, you've either recovered or you've died. That's what's happened. When we come back, what Chahat has seen firsthand inside India's COVID wards. Just a quick reminder, for a short but deep dive on a different news story every day of the week, subscribe to What Next, wherever you're listening to this show, right now. Go ahead. I'll wait. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, one of the country's leading providers of auto insurance. With Progressive's Name Your Price tool, you say what kind of coverage you're looking for and how much you want to pay, and Progressive will help you find the options that fit within your budget. Use the Name Your Price tool and start an online quote today at Progressive.com. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Can you tell me about the the places you visited? Because I know in the last couple of weeks, you've been to hospitals and you've been to crematoriums and you've met people who are desperate. What have you seen? Yeah, there's this one incident where we went to this hospital in this district called Baruch. It's in Gujarat. It's a small town. And we went to the civil hospital there, which is a district level hospital. And there was one doctor uh, who was taking care of a ward of 70 COVID patients, all of them on oxygen support. One doctor, one young medical student, resident doctor, along with four, five nurses. And like every 10, 15 minutes, he was being called from one bed to another. Either someone was losing oxygen, someone was gasping for breath, couldn't figure out what's happening to them. There, aren't, there weren't enough nurses, so family members were attending to patients. They were inside these wards. Hmm. There was not really a segregation between like intensive care and non-intensive care or suspected COVID and COVID patients because all of them had the same sort of clinical conditions, symptoms. All of them needed oxygen support. Uh, some of them even needed ventilation, but there was no ventilators. I think you talked about how people were adjusting their own oxygen levels because there just weren't enough staff to help them with it. Yeah, so they they basically gotten sort of used to 
figuring that out themselves because there were like five six adjoined wards if the doctor is in one of the wards you can't really call out like the attendant has to go and find him and if the if the other patient is sicker and needs more care then the doctor is not going to come to you and how long can you wait right for a doctor or a nurse to come in so people just started sort of fiddling with the dial themselves the thing is they might think they're doing it right but they might be messing it up as well so perhaps either they have uh, a pressure of oxygen that's too much or too low for them and that might damage their lungs even more but they're desperate they want to do something uh, you know and attendants themselves relatives they want to do something right they're seeing their loved one um their family member wife daughter son like young people like 20 people in their 20s gasping for breath right there was a father i remember uh who's just standing and crying and asking me if i can do something for them and yeah and they were asking you yeah yeah because they were trying to secure some medication uh or were asking me if there's some other hospital that they can be taken to where they can be attended to well better than this what do you even say to that i have to be honest i have to be honest i have to tell them that my role what i'm doing is to make sure that people know what's happening here uh if i had something if i had a resource i would help you but i really don't i don't and the most i can do is make sure people know what's happening and it's it's you have to be honest i, I don't know what else to be you chronicled this one moment that stood out to me because it was a quiet moment mm-hmm. a man came into the hospital they weren't able to test him for covid but he clearly had covid symptoms and he died yeah and his death was marked as a cardiac arrest yeah. and it was this very small moment that kind of reveals the entire problem yeah which is we don't even know how many covid patients there are even when they're in a hospital even when they're gasping for breath yeah that's for sure. most people are dying before they get hospital care most people are either dying in, inside their homes or in an ambulance or on the side of the road in an auto rickshaw this is where they die most of them are announced dead upon arrival i've seen that quite a bit uh, in my reporting um i mean i don't even the figures that we have the data that we have i i don't i don't even know where to begin talking about uh how fudged that data is and it's not even about being fudged it's about in this whole chaos how are they even keeping account at all of what's happening when there are no tests test results come if they, if you do get tested they come like 5 10 days later sometimes so yeah we have no idea of how many people have actually died of covid we just know it's at least hundreds in one city I'm not even talking about the state like hundreds of unreported deaths you know i noticed something when i was looking at some of the covid data for india that struck me which is that some of the highest infection levels right now seem to be in West Bengal and that is the state where the prime minister had been doing so much campaigning there's a an election there that's really important to him 
because if his party is able to secure a foothold in that state, it it just unlocks a lot of potential power. It's It was something people didn't think would necessarily happen. It's a really diverse state that has traditionally been against his Hindu-first agenda. And that election's still going on, which some people are saying is driving the infection rate up. I think results are expected in May. Yeah. But it made me wonder if there was a chance here that there would be political ramifications that we would actually know about quite soon for the prime minister, given how he's dealt with the COVID crisis. I mean, I would hope so. I can genuinely sense a level of disenchantment, disillusionment with the current regime. But there are some people who are still ready to push that narrative, like, what can the government do? It's on us. What do they do? There's a virus. What can what can Modi do? But I know people who would still swear by him and his leadership. And I guess that's what this government has kind of done well, which is image-making, perception management, creating symbols out of these people in power, you know, these larger-than-life symbols. In the last week, international allies have started offering all kinds of aid to India, vaccines and and oxygen. And I wonder if that gives you some sense that relief may be on its way. I mean, yes, of course. But I feel like this is not the worst of it. There's the cases, everything is going to rise to an extent that the amount of support we get will not catch up. So I feel like there's sadly much more devastation to see before this gets better. I mean, until April 17th, our prime minister was giving, as addressing a rally in West Bengal. There was a crowd of unmasked faces cheering him on. And he spoke about how uh, amazing it is to see such a big gathering. He's never seen such a big gathering before in his life. He himself was... uh, unmasked. And this is until April 17th. That was the same day you were in a hospital in his home state. Yeah. Watching people be turned away. Yeah. It's it's a crazy, crazy image. How are you? How are you doing? Because you're there. You're in the middle of all this. Mm. And I noticed that the the last time you were kind of out reporting, it was a, a week or two ago. Do you feel like you need to lock yourself down at this point? Uh, I I feel like staying at home doesn't help much. I mean, it's it helps me deal better if I'm kind of out reporting. But the biggest worry and concern is about the people living around you and infecting other people, you know, passing on the virus to other people while you do your job. That's always a problem, but... Locking yourself up doesn't help. Like it's sometimes, I mean, it does help. Everyone should be locking themselves up. But if I have to do my job and be on the ground reporting, then sometimes I feel like I'd rather do that than be here and be scared and be thinking about, you know, what's going to happen to my family, to my friends. How is this going to go? Till How long will I avoid this? Shahat Rana, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. I hope you and your family stay safe. Yeah, I hope so too. 
Jahat Rana writes for The Caravan. And that's the show. What Next is produced by Carmel Dalshad, Daniel Hewitt, Davis Land, Mary Wilson, and Elena Schwartz. We are led by Allison Benedict and Alicia Montgomery. And I'm Mary Harris. Tomorrow, be sure to stay tuned to this feed for What Next TBD. That's our Friday show all about technology. Lizzie O'Leary hosts it. I will catch you back here on Monday. <laughs> 